And uh, the question that we're looking at today is, is Christianity too narrow? Is this religion and does Christianity, does it divide us like the, that you see in that video that we just saw? But it, it, it's the idea that, um, should we just blow off this stuff? Like that, or, or at least dumb it down a little bit. Because it's, it's so, Christianity is so divisive. And so like we're going to talk about this and it's going to be and like uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation. And uh, I want to thank you for being here and let you know like if you if this is your first time here, my name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors here and and um I'm excited about talking about this topic because it's something that we we actually think a lot about and wonder about and I think it's going to feel real relevant. And yet at the same time, I'm a little nervous to talk about this topic and just to let you know, give you a little personal insight like this is not a topic that's a lot of fun to talk about. It's kind of hard to talk about. And uh, it's something that I've personally wrestled with a whole lot. And nothing that I'm going to say today, I just want you to know, like nothing I'm going to say today, I, I say lightly, that, that it's something that I really have personally wrestled with a lot. And what I'd like to do, just to start off with, is to ask three things from you guys. Now, I don't know if you would be nice enough to do these three things, but the, f- the first thing that I'd like to ask you to do is to not throw anything at me, all right? So like, if I'm going to say something you're going to probably disagree with and not like, just don't, just don't throw anything at me. That, that would be really helpful. The, the other thing that I, that I want to ask is if you would just try right now, just decide if you can, to, to try to keep an open mind as best as possible. Like just to say, like through the whole con- the whole talk, just that you're going to try to keep an open mind about this, and then you know you can argue with me later. But I, I don't argue with me now in the middle of my talk because I always lose those arguments anyways. The arguments you have with me in your head, like so just just put that off for a little bit and, and just try to listen with the open mind. And then the last, if you'd be so w- far uh, willing to go as far as to just maybe even pray and ask God to speak to you this morning. Now, I know you're here at a church, you're, you're thinking like, I at least want to hear what I have to say, but like, perhaps God actually is here and wants to speak to you. And I want to just give you a couple seconds, right, in a quiet, you know, just where, where you're at, just quietly between you and God. If you're willing, just, just take 10 seconds and say, God, would, would you speak to me this morning? And I, I, would you help me know if it's actually you or if it's just Jake talking? Why don't you just take 10 seconds to do that right now? Okay. Well, uh, like I said, today we're, we're wrestling with the question, is Christianity too narrow? And specifically, is it too narrow for our culture? And the reason that we're asking this question is twofold. One is in our culture today, uh, the idea of exclusive claims of a religion making kind of exclusive claims, saying that they might have the monopoly on truth or that they're the one way to God, that kind of, that whole idea is really taboo in our culture. And it's taboo because it feels extremely divisive and it keeps us from what we want, which is peace among people, right? And so, the, in fact, it's interesting to note that about 30 to 40 years ago, if you had asked people, like, what's the major barrier to peace in the world? The vast majority of people would probably have responded it was political ideology. You think about 30, 40 years ago, you're height of the Cold War, uh, you know, communism and all that going, people stockpiling nuclear weapons. Like, yeah, it's 
political ideology. Now, about 20 years ago, 10 years ago, certainly today, somewhere there has been a shift. And now if you ask people, what's the number one barrier to peace in the world? The majority of people will respond that it is religion. And specifically, religion's exclusive claims or religious exclusivity. And so, like, it's really a taboo topic in our, in our world today, in our culture, to say that any religion is the one right way. And however, the, why we're asking the question, is Christianity too narrow, is because you see those kind of claims in the Bible. And for those of you who have read the Bible and read, read much of Jesus' teachings, you see Jesus himself, the founder of Christianity, the leader of Christianity, and you see him make some really exclusive and narrow claims. And like, I just want to get that out on the table, right in, right in front of us. Like, let's not beat around the bush. Like, for example, one of the most prominent, most famous exclusive claims that Jesus makes is found in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, And I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Like, that's a really big statement, isn't it? Like, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Like, no one gets to God except through Jesus. Like that feels incredibly narrow, doesn't it? Jesus actually goes another, in another message. He actually says that it is narrow. In, in Matthew chapter 7, he says this. He says, starting in verse uh, 13, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus you know, just calls it like it is. And he, he says, yeah, Christianity is, is narrow. The way, the way to life is, is really, it's, it's the narrow gate. It's the narrow path. It's not the, the broad way. And when we look at that, we just think, man, that, that just rubs me wrong. Doesn't it? Like personally, like as a pastor, I, I, I look at that and I think, man, that, that kind of rubs me wrong. Like on a surface level, the Bible's answer to the question, is Christianity too narrow? Like I don't like it on a surface level. And I'm sure you don't either. But what I want us to do is to think about this beyond the surface level. And I want us to just explore what is Christianity's answer. And not only what is Christianity's answer, but what are the other options what are the other answers that can possibly give us what we really want? Because what we really want is peace, isn't it? What we really want is peace with people and peace with God. Like we want to live in a world where people can really enjoy each other and love each other, where they're not arrogant, but they're humble. They don't think that they have to have everything their way, that you can be tolerant of people, even people with very different perspectives and different worldviews and different cultures, where we can have peace even amongst diversity, where people really are loved. Like, don't we want to live in a world like that? And don't we want to know that we can have peace with God? Like if God actually exists, then, then if there's a gap that exists between us and him, don't we want to know that, that that's bridged? Don't we want to know that everything's all right between us and God? That when he thinks about us, we know that we're accepted by him? Don't we want that? Don't we want peace with people and peace with God? Isn't that what we're really after? And the reason we, we just like 
push against religion's exclusive claims, and Christianity specifically, its exclusive claims, is because we feel like it threatens those things. We think that it's the very reason we don't have some of those things. Like, and it's really interesting how many books that have come out recently about how religion is like the very thing that divides us. Think about Christopher Hitchens' book that came out a couple years ago that was titled God is Not Great. How religion poisons everything. And in it, his, his kind of thesis of that book is that religion is man-made and it divides people. divides us nationally, divides us at home, it divides us internationally. And like, again, I just got to say, like, I, I agree that religion really does divide people. It does. It, just, it makes sense why it does. Because if you, if you give any person or a group of people the idea that their, their way is the right way to live in order to be accepted by God, and that if then they begin to live that way, then they have all kinds of reason to be able to look down on others and feel superior to them. Like if they have the truth and they're living according to it so that they know they're accepted by God, then they have every reason to be able to say, like, we are right and you guys are wrong. We are better. Y'all guys are inferior. We're superior. And to feel like I'm going to separate from those people, the people who aren't living the right way, because they're a bad influence on me, and I'm trying to live the right way. And so I want to remove myself from others. And if they continue to try to like butt up against me, then I want to oppress them, or I want to marginalize them. And like religion is like just this slippery slope of the heart that can lead all the way to oppression of other people. It's, it's really ugly. Isn't it? And so what do we do with that? What do we, what do, we do? Because it doesn't seem like a religion is promoting peace on earth. It actually seems like it's eroding it. And when you come to that conclusion, then you have to think, like, well, well what do I do with Christianity? Or any other religion, for that matter. And its exclusive claims. And I want to propose today that there are two possible solutions of what we should do with religion and specifically Christianity's exclusive claims. The first possible solution is this, that we can choose to lean away or distance ourselves from religion's exclusive claims or Christianity's exclusive claims. And in our world today, there, there's two ways that we are promoted to take that posture, the leaning away from exclusivity. The one way, one way is uh, saying that all religion is wrong and therefore should be uh, regulated or should be, you know, what do I say up here, outlawed. So you, this is not the most popular view, but it's out there in our world today. So you think about former Soviet Union, or communist China, or even in the Western world in the marketplace arena, sphere of living. It's like, don't bring your religion into the marketplace. Just check that at the door. We don't want to bring that in here. And so this solution, say, well, we can have peace with people if we just outlawed religion, if we just regulated it. And, and it but it doesn't really work. Does it, like we know that it, this is not the best way to go about peace with, and to find peace with people and peace with God, because in this approach, what you get is further oppression and intolerance. And that's the very thing we're trying to work against. And so this doesn't actually get us there. I don't think a lot of us are actually probably propagating this view. And so let me move on to another view. This is the more popular world view in our world today to say, let's lean away from 
religion's exclusive claims so that we can have peace with people and peace with God. And that is to say that all religions must be right and therefore should all be equally accepted. And this, kind of, this thinking is really summed up with the, the term pluralism. And pluralism has become the most uh, widely held view in the Christian, I mean, sorry, in the uh, Western world today. And uh, there's probably many of you that have this kind of worldview. I know we all have friends that do. And it's some, give you some examples of this kind of thinking. Some common phrases are things like, um, uh, all religions basically teach the same lessons or moral code. That's, like a, that's kind of a pluralist thought. All, all religions teach the same thing, the same lessons, same moral code. Or all religions lead to God. Or all religions at least share some kind of aspect of God, but none of them have the full picture, but all combined you get a good idea of what God is like. Or that, uh, you know, a common phrase would be that no, no religion has a uh, monopoly on the truth. That's a, that's a common pluralist thinking. Or, or that, uh, you know, you get the, the kind of picture of God on the top of the mountain and that all, all the religions are just different paths leading all the way to God. And that it doesn't matter what path you take because they all arrive at the same point. They all arrive at God. Like that's, that's really popular pluralist thinking. And I, let me just say, like, I really appreciate what pluralism and those who are, are, are proponents of it, like, I appreciate what they're trying to do. Because they look at our world and they say, man, religion is just causing so much division. And we want peace. We want peace with people. And so what if, we, what if we could find a way that, that promotes peace and tolerance and coexistence and yet at the same time still validates the value of the different world religions? Instead of trying to wipe them out, we'll just say that they all are valued and they're all you know, important. And so like, let's go about it, have it both ways. And like, again, I appreciate what they're trying to do there. Personally, though, My problem with pluralism is that it just isn't accurate. I'm going to test how open-minded you can stay here. So like, try to stick with me here. Don't throw anything, all right? But uh, like, when you think about pluralism, when they say all the religions teach the same moral lessons, all teach the same thing, they're all different paths to God, but they all lead to God. Like, the, the problem with that is that it's only half true. Christianity would completely agree that uh, most world religions teach a similar moral code. Then we would agree with a lot of what other religions teach as far as how to live. And in fact, there's been a lot of research done on this, and some, some of the things that's been found is that, that Christianity, along with the other major world religions, plus some of the minor world religions, all agree on eight big commandments of how we should live. Those eight things are, let me read them for you, don't harm others with word or deed. Honor your parents. Be kind to siblings and the elderly. Be honest in all your dealings. Don't lie. Don't have sex with someone else's spouse. Care for those who are weaker. And put others first. And that's a good list. Like if we kept that list, our world would be a better place, would it not? And it would be, uh, and it's like this is a good a green place of agreement through all of the world religions. And, and, and like if we could just live that way, that would be good. But the only other thing that all the world religions actually agree on is that none of us keep that list. 
Like all the world religions are basically an answer to how do I bridge the gap between, that exists between me and God, or us and God, because none of us keep the moral list perfectly. But after that, after those two points of agreement, things begin to unravel quickly from a pluralist viewpoint. Because what you get into after that is, well, then who is God? What's he like? And what does he require of people who fail to keep the moral list? And in those two arenas, the the religions are vastly different. They teach really different things. Buddhism teaches that there isn't a God. Hinduism teaches that there are thousands of gods. Judaism and Islam teach that there's one God. Christianity teaches that there's one God in three persons, known as the Trinity. That's really different. Is there not a God or is there a God? Is he one or is he a thousand? Like, and then as far as how, do we, how are we made right with God, the, question, the different religions answer that really varied. Their answer to that really varies as well. Is it five pillars? Is it the eightfold path? Is it sacrificial system or is it ten commandments? Or is it that Jesus died for our sins? And like those are different answers. And therefore pluralism, in, in its desire to like really heighten what we have in common and downplay what we don't so that there can be peace, really at best offers us a pseudo kind of peace with people based on a surface level tolerance and agreement. Think about what um, Catherine Tanner, who's a, a Yale professor, she said this way. She said, pluralist insistence on commonalities as a condition of dialogue shows an unwillingness to recognize the depth and degree of diversity among religions or the positive importance of them. And so again, what, what we're left here with pluralism, as far as I can see it, and this is my viewpoint, I know, but what, what I see is that we're left is a surface peace based on pseudo-tolerance, but not real peace between people, and a very confusing and irrational answer to the question, who is God and how do I have peace with him? And so instead of producing truly loving people who have peace with one another as they are in their real viewpoints, and as varied as they are, and knowing confidently you have peace with God, what you get when you lean away from the exclusive claims is that you're left with this kind of pseudo-peace, this surface-level tolerance, and no idea of whether you have peace with God or, or not. And personally, I'm just not satisfied with that answer. Yes, it's a better answer than religion in the sense that religion doesn't, promise, doesn't seem to bring any peace. But is pseudo-peace, is that really the best we can do? And I just, like, I hope not. And so let's, let's spend the rest of our time, what I want to do is us to do something that will feel very counterintuitive. But instead of saying, well, let's, let's lean away from the exclusive claims of Christianity and other religions to see if it can bring us peace with people and peace with God, let's spend the rest of our time just exploring what would happen if we leaned into, like we really embraced the exclusive claims of specifically of Christianity we don't have time to talk through all the other world religions, but we can. If we want to grab coffee, I'd love to talk with you on that. But specifically on, with Christianity, what happens if we lean into 
Jesus claims that he's the only way. And the gate's narrow. The way I want to do that is by uh, addressing three common uh, held objections. Just kind of feel almost like a common sense objection to why we would think Christianity could no, there's no way Christianity and, and all of its exclusivity could be the answer to providing peace with people and peace with God. So the first objection is this. Doesn't the narrowness of Christianity lead to, uh, what do I say here? Isn't narrowness of Christianity, isn't it bad for the world? Because doesn't a narrow belief create narrow people? And aren't narrow people bad for the world? And like that makes sense. Like I, I, the reasoning of that argument, I feel is really solid for all the reasons that I've already talked on. Like the idea that if you give people uh, an idea that they are the right, they, like they're the chosen people, that they have, uh, the, they know the right way to live in order to be accepted by God, then it gives you this you know, pedestal to stand on and look down on others. It feels superior to others. It puffs you up. It makes you arrogant. And all that stuff is really divisive. And so it's like, well, like, and we all know, like we all know Christians, a Christian or lots of Christians who've really been that way. And if we're really honest, we've probably been that way for the Christians in this room. And so, like, there's a lot of reason to think, like, this is, there's no way that Christianity actually leads to something that's good for the world. It really just leads to narrow people who are judgmental, and, and they, they treat their religion as, as either a, uh, a fence that they put up to divide them from others, or a soapbox they get up on top of so they can preach and show their superiority, or a club that they use to beat up people who aren't living rightly according to their standard, or a gavel that they use to judge others. Like, we all think of people who have done that. We, like, I know that that's the case. But here's, here's the thing. And I know in saying this, that the Christians you've encountered who are like those people I just described are going to make this statement hard to believe. But the, the truth is, when you study what the Bible says, what you see is that Christianity, when truly embraced, and really the person of Jesus, when truly embraced, leads to humility and love. It leads to humility and love. So like the, the Bible's response to the objection that Christianity is bad for the world because it's so narrow, the, 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 the Bible would actually say that, that Christianity, the narrowness of Christianity actually leads to creating humble and loving people, and those people are good for the world. Now, let me explain why I say that, and then let me explain why that doesn't, why we don't always see or feel that. All right? You tracking with me? Okay. Suspend your arguments, and let me just try to, to, to address them here. The reason that the, the Bible would say this, the reason I would say, say this, is because What the Bible says is that the reason Christians are accepted by God or the reason that anyone can be accepted by God is not actually based off of what they have, do, what they have done. Where religion says, 
if you do these things right, then you're accepted by God. And so you have a, you have a platform in which you can feel superior because you're doing the right things. The, you're living the right way, and therefore you're accepted by God, and you can look down on others who aren't measuring up to you and doing the right things. But Christianity doesn't teach that at all. What it teaches is that we weren't doing the right things, and we, in fact, haven't been able to do anything to find acceptance with God. And because of that, it's just by grace that we're saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 puts it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the Bible says that Christians actually have no reason to boast. They have no... They have nothing to stand on to say that they are better than anybody else because their salvation was a gift from God, not based on anything that they have done, that I have done, that we have done. And so instead of promoting arrogance, Christianity really causes you to even consider the faith. It requires humility. You begin at a place where you say, man, I'm so messed up. I can't do anything to be accepted by God. I need a Savior. And that promotes humility. It also promotes love. Because what we find in the Bible, what we see in the person of Jesus, is someone who taught and lived a life of love that even went as far as loving his enemies. Like in Matthew chapter 5, what you see Jesus teach is, he says, You have heard that it, it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then Jesus actually lived out what he said. And he went to the cross and he died for his enemies. Now, enemies is such a strong term, but it's the term that the Bible uses. Let me read it in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For if while we were enemies, talking about enemies with God, if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so the teaching, the fundamental teaching of Christianity causes you to begin in a place of humility and gives you no chance to look down on others for not living the right way. Because you have to begin by saying, I can't do anything to get accepted by God. And it causes you to say, I need to love everyone, even my enemies, because the leader of my faith said that and then lived that. And so for me to respond to anyone who says anything mean to me, or anyone who thinks ill of me, or anyone who's out to get me, or anyone that just rubs me wrong, or anyone who thinks that I'm narrow-minded and intolerant and hate-filled, and I respond by lashing back out on them, like that's, that is just so outside of what Christianity teaches and what Jesus has shown for us, that we are to respond to everybody with love. And that includes people who live and believe differently from us. That's the essence of Christianity. We love and serve our enemies. We love and serve people who are different from us. We love and serve people who are believed differently from us. Instead of bashing over 
people over the head with the Bible or judgmental thoughts or to, or to write off a, a, a religious group and think that they're the enemies. Like they're not, we don't have enemies. Jesus died for his enemies. You can't actually call those people enemies. They're his friends if he was going to die for them. That's what the Bible teaches. However, why do, not, why do we not see that? Why, does, why do Christians not have that reputation at large? And it's, it's sad. <laughs> the answer to that question is, is sad. And I don't know if you'll buy it, but what I'll, what I'll say is that the, 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 the reason why we don't see that more often is because we don't, as a Christian, I'll speak for Christians in general right now, we don't like believing that we had nothing to offer God. And we often begin to act as if by what we do, we can be accepted by God. And then when we begin to act like we bring something to the table and God accepts us based off of that, then it gives us leverage to look down on others because we feel like we're bringing something to the table. Staying in a humble place knowing that we never have anything to offer and we're only accepted by God is a hard place to stay. In addition, loving others, loving just loving my wife perfectly, much less enemies or people who don't like me or whatever, I don't, people I don't know or I'm not familiar with, like all of that stuff, like that's just really hard to do. But hear this. When Christians are not humble, and they're not loving. It's not, it's not a result of them living out their belief. It's really a result of them not living out their belief. When Christians are not, are hum, are not humble and not loving, it's because they're not living in line with what they actually say they believe. It's not because they are living in line with what they believe. I wish that it wasn't that way. But when you look at it, when you look at Christianity and you just study the teaching, then you'll see that it really does promote humility and loving people if you really embrace it and live it out consistently. And if it does produce that, then it's good for the world. If it can produce that type of people and people really embracing it, then it's good for the world because it pr- promotes peace amongst people, even people who don't believe the same thing. Because Christians would say, even if you don't believe the same thing, I'm here to love you, I'm here to serve you, and I don't think I'm better than you if I couldn't do anything to be saved in the first place. So maybe, maybe Christianity's answer to the objection, it's, it's bad for the world, maybe, maybe it's actually good for the world. Maybe it does promote peace. But there's two other major objections. I'm running really short on time, so this is going to be tricky how I'm going to talk to these things. But there's two other major objections that come with the idea of does Christianity actually promote peace with God? Is it actually the answer as it claims to be for how we can know we have peace with God? That is Jesus really the way and the truth and the life that no one comes to follow except through through him? Like how do we like is that 
Like, is that really true? And what we, when we hear that, what we think is, man, that just sounds so unfair. And that sounds so uncomfortable. And therefore, it must be, we reason, untrue. Because if it feels unfair and it, and it feels uncomfortable, then it, then it must be untrue. And, and we think, okay, because it's unfair, because it's got to be, it's unfair to good people. Like, what about the good, uh, good Muslim that, that's just doing their life just in, as far as they know, and they're good people? Well, how could they not get into heaven because they didn't go through Jesus? Like, that's so unfair. Or what about the ignorant person? What about the, the child in India who just has never heard about Jesus? And so they don't have a chance to, to be made right with God, have peace with God just because they were ignorant because they had never heard. Like that's so unfair. And we think it's so uncomfortable because the idea that we have to have a savior, like I need saving, like I'm that messed up. Like in that, if I am messed up, then I'm so messed up that I couldn't save myself. I need someone else to save. Like that's incredibly uncomfortable. And so again, we reason, like, if it's unfair and it's uncomfortable, then it must be untrue. But I just want to point out to you guys, like, on an emotional level, I get that. I'm with you in that, if that's how you feel. But it's not rational thinking. If you just take the formula, unfair plus uncomfortable equals untrue, like we know that's not, a, that's not right. I and mean, we can look at uh, tons of different things in, in our life and know that that actually does not you know, always equal untrue, unfair, uncomfortable, does not always equal untrue. Like I just think about with my kids, like seeing my kids, the way my kids have come into my family, being in the, the uh, delivery room, watching Krista give birth to camp and to Della, like it is incredibly unfair that you women carry that burden. And men, we don't do anything. We just like, we get, well, we have sex and that's awesome. And then, and then we just kind of just stand there and then we get to hold the kid afterwards. And like that's incredibly unfair to y'all ladies. And it's incredibly uncomfortable. Like I watched what was going on. I'm like, man, I'm so glad it's this way that it's unfair. I'm not having to do that. But yet when I'm holding my babies in my arms, they're actually there. That because they're true, they're real. Unfair, yes. Uncomfortable, yes. Untrue, no. Or I think about on a heavier side with like with Enoch. You know, Chris and I adopted our, our little boy from Uganda. And while we were in Uganda, we lived there for a month. For two of those weeks, we lived in Enoch's orphanage with 32 other orphans. And every day of every hour, every, in every hour and every second, there was always at least one, if not multiple, of the kids crying. Because they didn't have parents. They didn't love them. They weren't known by them. Some of them weren't named yet. They just didn't have people who were looking out for them. They were there to pick them up when they're crying. And like that was every morning I woke up, I was struck with just how unfair this was. And how uncomfortable they were and I was being there. And yet it didn't make it untrue. Because unfair plus uncomfortable does not equal untrue. Not always. And though we emotionally want to say, like, it doesn't make sense that if there's a good God and he's powerful, like, he would make a way for anyone who wants to know him to know him. Like, that just feels like that would be so much more fair. Like, we think, and so if he doesn't do that, if he made it through one person, the person of Jesus Christ, then we would think, oh, that just can't be right. Because it feels unfair and it feels uncomfortable. But guys, let us not lean on a rational thinking. 
when it comes to one of the biggest, if not the biggest decisions of our entire lives. How to be made right with God. And Christianity, it, it answers, it provides answers to those objections about, like, is it, it's unfair for the outsider, for the good or the ignorant. It's, it's uncomfortable for me. It, it does provide answers to those questions, but they're uncomfortable answers. But it doesn't mean that they're untrue. In short, and I could talk about this for a long time, but in short, what I would say is that when it comes to the, the objection that because Christianity is unfair towards outsiders, what Christian, or that Christianity is too narrow because it's unfair towards outsiders, what Christianity would say to that is that it's actually only unfair to Jesus. It's actually only unfair for Jesus. And the reason that the Bible would say that is because what the Bible teaches is that God created everybody to represent what he's like. That when he created us, he created us in his image. And that we were made to give a physical world a physical representation of the character of God. And just as God is generous, we are to be generous, and he's honest, we are to be honest and loving, we're loving, gracious, gracious, on and on and on. And yet, when we fail to do that, which we all have, according to the Bible, we haven't been perfectly like what God is like, then what that results in is that we slander the name of the holy God. And because God is perfectly just, he cannot turn a blind eye to that. He cannot look that up. That's, look that over and just like pretend it didn't happen. It's, it's not just a mess up or a slight mistake. It's, it's slandering the very name of the Holy One. And it needs to be dealt with or God isn't just. And as far as how that relates to the objection, well, what about good people? What it says is that none of us are good. As Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That sin just literally means that we've missed the mark. And the mark, the standard, is the perfectness of God. And therefore, if God is the standard of what's good, then none of us are. That's uncomfortable to say. Like We want to push up against that because we know good people. And there are people I know that are so much better than I am. And so much kinder and generous and loving. And like they are, they're good people compared to me. They're great people. But compared to God, none of us are good people. We all miss the mark. And as far as the ignorant goes, those who just haven't had a chance to respond, the Bible has a lot to say on that. that are, that's helpful. Honestly, I take a lot of solace in it. One is that the Bible teaches that God loves the whole world. He loves the whole world so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the whole world. The most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Like I take a lot of solace in that. I take a lot of I take a lot of solace in, in Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, which is which says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is like a picture of in heaven what's happening. And John, who writes Revelation, says this is what he sees. He sees people of every tribe. Like, wrap your mind around that. Like, how does that work? Like, we know right now that there are tribes in the world today that have, ne- have never heard the name of Jesus. 
And yet in heaven, every single tribe, there's going to be people represented from every tribe. Like, how does that work? I don't, I don't know. But I take solace in this verse to say that God is after people in a way that I don't even understand. And that even though Jesus, according to Jesus, according to the Bible, is the only way, the people are going to come through Jesus in ways that I don't understand. Because every person, I mean, every tribe is going to be represented. Every language is going to be represented in heaven because of what Jesus did. And I take, I take comfort from that. And I also know that, like, like, I don't understand everything. And the Bible just leaves a lot of this, as, as some of this, as a mystery. Like, I know the Old Testament prophets and a lot of Old Testament saints, they're, gonna, they're, like, they're all going to be in heaven. But they never heard the name of Jesus. Like, Jesus came thousand years later. Like, how are they there? I know that they're because of Jesus, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for the payment of their sins. But how did that work? It's a mystery. Here's what I do know for sure. God is way more just He's way more loving. He cares way more about the people of the world than we do. And so as far as the ignorant goes, I think, man, they've got a God that loves them. And if they're seeking him, he's seeking them. And they're going to be there through the person of Jesus. Now, it's really only unfair for Jesus. Jesus was the only one who actually lived the perfect life. He's the only one who actually did what we were all sent to do, represent God perfectly. He was the only one who actually could do that. He's the only one who lived a sinless life, and yet he didn't deserve to die, but he did die on our behalf. He chose to do that as a demonstration of his love. Like Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, some translations say, while we were still powerless, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unable, we were powerless, we were weak. When we were ungodly, Christ died for us. Because that's more than fair. It's, it's gracious. It's unfair for Jesus who, who died the death that we deserve, that we could have the life, eternal life, that is offered to us in him. The other objection that Christianity, the narrowness of Christianity is just, uh, it, it's uncomfortable for me, uncomfortable for you, because it says I need, a, I need a savior, like I'm so messed up, I, I need saving, and I can't save myself. To that, the Bible agrees. It's uncomfortable. It agrees that it's uncomfortable, but at the same time, it promises comfort. The Bible agrees, yes, we are all sinners, and our sin is not a small thing because our God is a just God. And so he cannot look, at, look over it but it needs to be paid for. And we can't pay it ourselves, the debt ourselves. But it promises comfort because God does not leave us helpless or hopeless. But he sent his son to die for us that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could be reconciled and restored to him. God demonstrated his love for us in this 
that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And to me, I find great comfort in that. In fact, I'd go so far as to say I, I personally find it beautiful. To wrap this up, let me just say that Christianity, I think, is the most fair and comfortable belief in an uncomfortable and unfair world. Everyone is welcome. Everyone gets in the same way. And everyone can meet the requirement. Everyone is welcome. Jesus loves everyone. Everyone gets, meets the requirement. We just need a Savior. That's the requirement. Like we've sinned and we need a Savior. And everyone gets in the same way, whether pastor or prostitute, whether black or white or gay or straight or moral or immoral or kind or mean or enlightened or lost. We all get in the same way. And when we embrace this, when we believe it, it makes us into people who are humble and non-judgmental and who love everyone who have peace with others and even amazingly can have peace with God. And so maybe, maybe you'll agree with me in thinking that Christianity isn't too narrow for our world after all. But instead, it might just be exactly what our world needs. And even more specifically, it might just be exactly what I need and you need to make us into the people we want to be, loving people who know without a shadow of a doubt that we're accepted by God himself. As Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, this is a lot to take in. God, I do pray that you would have your word set on our hearts the rest of this day and this week and we would mold this over and we would think, think it through and we'd look at it from different perspectives and what we'd find is joy and hope and Lord, the, the assurance that you have provided a way for there to be indeed peace on earth and peace with you. And God, I pray that we as Christians, those of us who believe this, we would be made more and more into uh, humble and loving people who love everyone. And God, I pray that you would uh, make those who don't believe this, Lord, that you would uh, just continue to draw them, to help them think about this according to, to what you say. And Lord, I pray that they would believe it. Because Jesus, you're our Savior. And you loved us and you died for us that we could be with you forever. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.